Welcome to the weekly podcast of Calvary Chapel, South London. A church where the truth of God's word meets and transforms the reality of our daily lives. We hope you are impacted by this week's teaching. So, God is good all the time. <laughs> it's one of those mornings, isn't it? <laughs> and um, God in his goodness is at work among us. You know, um, in fact, this year, 2013, will be our 10th anniversary as a church. And so, um, I think we mark it by August as being the time when we were formally constituted. 10 years as a church. And it's not something that we've really kind of made a big deal of over the years, because we're grateful to God for what he's doing, but we're always so very apparently aware of what needs to be done. And yet, we recognize that if we expect anything else, we're deluding ourselves. Because until Jesus comes, we will be changed consistently to become more and more and more like him. And the problem arises when actually we opt out of that process and we're no longer being changed. Because change is such that it is one of the things that defines life. It is one of the defining characteristics of life. Is there a change? And where there's life, there ought to be change. And this is clearly seen, and we're going to be looking at John 15, so you can turn there if you want. But this is clearly seen in Colossians 1.28, which is a, a, a verse that we have embraced and wrestled with consistently as leaders. Him, Jesus, we proclaim Warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. And there's a reason why. That we may present everyone mature in Christ. That we might present everyone mature in Christ. And so, between here and heaven, that is God's goal for us. That we would grow in spiritual maturity. And so often we see those films where you, you have that kind of Yoda character. And he's so wise that when he speaks, he speaks in riddles. I know not what thou knowest, that apart from thou knowest, thou knowest not. And you're like, fam, plain English, please. And yet, there is a maturity and a wisdom that even in the culture, in one way or another, or one shape or another, is being promoted. For some, it's Jay-Z. 40 is the new 30. You know, he is the 
hood aficionado, the guy who came up from the roads, he's now in the Billionaire's Boys Club, and that's the picture of maturity that so many men are aspiring to. And so he's got respect, he's got credibility in his game, in his craft, he's got money, he can, you know, and even now, I mean, he's supposed to be retired, but when he raps, he's still rapping about the fact that, he, you know, he, he jumps on jets and they're private. <laughs> you don't wait in queues and rare and whatever. And that's like, that's the goal in life, to get money and respect like Jay-Z. And for some ladies, maybe the, the picture of maturity is his good lady wife. Beyonce, the woman who has it all, she's adored by men all over the world. She steps on stage and just kills it. And yet she's got baby blue ivy right there. And she has the husband, successful. She don't have to sing another song if she wants to. She has a child. She has the marriage. And that's the picture of maturity that is being regarded and presented to women. And yet we see that a person's life doesn't consist in the abundance of the things that they have. Jesus said to the fool in Luke 12, you fool, do you not know that today your soul will be required of you? What does it profit you to gain the whole world and lose your soul? And that speaks to the life hereafter, but it also speaks to the here and now. Because the fool lost his soul acquiring those things that he put his faith and his trust and his hope in. He lost his soul to those things. And it stands as a, as a warning to us. That true maturity isn't defined by, you know, how self-sufficient we are. How many holidays we're able to take a year. How unconcerned we are about the bills when they drop. Direct debits taking care of that and then some. True maturity isn't defined by how respected we are at work. Us achieving great accolades academically. That's not true maturity. That's not to say necessarily that those things in and of themselves are bad. But no. Maturity for us is found in John 15 verse 8. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So prove to be my disciples. Now, that's a challenging statement to those of us who walk around with the attitude, well, I've got a relationship with God and it doesn't matter if no one else can see it or understand it because he knows my heart. 
Jesus said that there's got to be an evidence. There's got to be an external outworking of fruit so as to prove, to demonstrate, not to God. God knows our hearts. But to one another that we are his disciples. Now, in this portion of text here, we see the key to fruitfulness. The secret to fruitfulness. Um, a few months ago, there was a guy, I can't remember his name off the top of my head. And he created a, a, a sensation, a global phenomena. I don't know if any of you guys saw this brother who got in a space rocket and he flew to the edge of space. And he was wearing a spacesuit. And he, the, 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 the capsule that he was in disconnected from the rocket. And he sat in this capsule literally at the edge of the Earth's atmosphere. And he sat in this capsule and then he opened the door. And when he opened the door, he stood up and he said, this is just the, the capsule behind him. He's standing on the edge of the capsule and, and space in front of him. And he said, it's amazing how small one feels looking at the earth from this place. And then he said, I'm coming home. And he jumped. He jumped out of the capsule. On the edge of the earth's atmosphere, only wearing a spacesuit and a parachute. And he dropped at something like 400 feet per second. And he dropped for something like, I don't know, 10 minutes from space into the earth's atmosphere. And when he finally stabilized his free fall, because he was falling, trust me, he wasn't flying. <laughs> he was falling. Fanatic's got this lyric, the guy who thinks he's flying is really falling. And when he got to the, to the point of stabilization where he was now free falling like a normal parachutist, he then pulled his parachute and landed two feet on the floor. He jumped from space and touched down onto terra firma. Any of you guys see that? It's on YouTube. Like everything, right? <laughs> and this brother, who I, who I understand to be a Christian, I'm not absolutely certain, he defied just the laws of science. He went to the edge of space and yet, you know what? He couldn't stay there. No matter how good he was, he couldn't stay there. And he couldn't go beyond the edge of the Earth's atmosphere 
Because he jumped out into space. He's not coming back. And no one's going to find him. Send all the probes you want. He's going to float away. He had the good sense to realize there was so far he could go, but he had to remain within contact of the earth's atmosphere. And that speaks to us because there is something of that sentiment being communicated to us right here in John 15. Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser, the gardener. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So the goal is fruitfulness. If you're not bearing fruit, you're not a disciple. You might profess to be, he says, every branch of mine. One professing that does not bear fruit, he takes it away. Locked off, chopped off. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Huh? Hold on, but I'm bearing fruit. Why you want to put the, the, the blades to me? I'm okay. But the Lord's like, no, more fruit. And so he prunes us and we feel the edge of the blade. And sometimes it's the edge of the blade when someone rubs us up the wrong way. And sometimes it's the edge of the blade when we don't get that thing that we pray for. We never got the job. He never paid any attention to me. She married someone else. And we feel the edge of the blade. Why is he team leader? I can't stand him. And we feel the edge of the blade. But it's in order that we may bear more fruit. I said, already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. The gospel makes us bearing fruit, not producing fruit. How do trees bear fruit? They just stand there. You don't see them industriously waving their branches. Gotta get that fruit. Gotta get that fruit. You don't see no shaking and tremoring. They stand there and allow the life to flow through them. And as the life flows, by reason of them being connected genuinely, fruit is born. And so by reason of the gospel, our hearts have been purged and life is able to, be, is able to flow if we're connected. And then in the next verses, we see the word, the key to fruitfulness. The key to fruitfulness. And I want to put this before you. Let this be your goal this year. Let it be our goal this year. Count how many times you hear me read the word abide. Verse 4. Use your fingers, yeah? I don't think you will run out, but you might. 
You can start using your toes. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. How many times abide? Ten. Ten times. Now some of you are still trying to work out what the word means. <laughs> abide. Abide with me. One of them yeah, funeral football song or something. But listen, it basically means to live. To live. To live. Live in me as I live in you. As I live in the Father and he lives in me. Live in my love. If you do not live in me, you cannot do anything. We are to live in the atmosphere of Christ. Now, why do I say it like that? Some of us, we hear the word live and we think about house. And so my house is where I live. And I go into my house and I will kick off my shoes. I sit on the couch. If I want to stand on the couch, I can stand on the couch. I go in the kitchen. I open the Keep the, the fridge. I eat what I want to eat out of the fridge. Close the fridge. Got in the oven. Put my pizza in there. My patty, whatever it is. Because I know you lot can't cook like my wife, right? So, yeah. But that's. I'm feeling a bit tired. I got things to do tomorrow. So I I hit the bathroom. I go to my bed. That's living. My living space. And that would communicate to us one dimension of living in Christ. But living in Christ is more than being confined to one space per se. We have to appreciate that living in Christ is to live in the atmosphere of Christ. And so anywhere you go and anything you do, you do in the atmosphere of Christ. Just like my man had to, he could not go beyond. He went to the edge of the earth's atmosphere, but he could not go beyond it because it would be over for him. Our lives are sustained by the atmosphere in which we are in. 
standardly, breath, breathing, air, fundamental to our living. Just as Christ is to our spiritual life. And so anywhere we go within this breathing atmosphere, praise be to God, we live. And we are to cultivate lives that are so Christ-centered that anywhere we go, we are in the atmosphere of Christ. Now, some of you are hearing that, and every time I say the atmosphere of Christ, you're thinking spiritual. Speak to the atmosphere. Well, if that helps (laughs) us frame our thinking, the Lord said to Joshua like this, anywhere you go is holy ground. By reason of who you are, the atmosphere around you is determined. So you're in Christ and are to walk in an atmosphere of Christ. And this is what Jesus is saying. Live, exist, carry out your life in me. All that you need is provided by me. And apart from me, you cannot do anything. Now, living in an atmosphere of Christ can be summed up by simply seeking to do everything for his glory. And there are hindrances to living in an atmosphere of Christ. So we see this in Galatians 5. Verse 16, I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So walk by the Spirit. Constantly be spiritually empowered and enabled in all that you do. That's an atmosphere of Christ. Verse 17, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So know this. As you seek to cultivate an an atmosphere of Christ in your life unto fruitfulness and maturity, you will experience resistance from within. Your own earthly nature which is yet to experience the consummation of redemption in that we are redeemed, we are being redeemed, and yet we will be redeemed when our bodies are put off and we're glorified. Amen? So we're still in this body, and this body has impulses and urges that war against the spirit. So some of you made New Year's resolution, I'm going I'm to shred off that fat. And then you quickly encountered some leftover chocolates and whatnot from some cake left in the fridge. And you'd be like, oh, okay, tomorrow. Some of you have said, you know what? Spiritually, I'm going to go in this year. Not holding out. And that that issue that I've got with that person, I'm going to sort it out. Maybe just in a few days. You see, we have the flesh that works against us 
trying to prevent us from cultivating the atmosphere of Christ. But notice it says in verse 16, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. We are no longer bound to our fleshly natures and desires because Jesus Christ is alive. He conquered the grave. He rose again and truly he has set the captives free. Amen? So we walk in the Spirit. And if you are led by the Spirit, verse 18, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. It's a non-exhaustive list. All this kind of madness. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. What is it? It's fruitlessness. Dead works. But, verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The fruit, singular, love is the stem. It's like a lovely sweet tangerine. Clementine with the pegs that go around the stem and, and draw their, their source of nutrient and life as that stem hangs on the branch. And the fruit is formed. And you have different segments to the fruit, but it's one fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And so we see every Christian is to be fruitful if you are a Christian. There are several other things and we can unpack them throughout the course of the year with regards to us developing in maturity and growing in fruitfulness as God's children. But know this, even from the outset, we are to be prepared to engage in battle as we avail ourselves of and utilize the grace that God has given. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. And as he goes on, and you can read on in your own time, he frames this all in love. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. He calls us to love one another. And you can sum up fruitfulness in that. To love God is to be fruitful. And to be fruitful is to keep his word. It's not us being right in our own eyes, but us being evidently in right standing with God because of his grace at work in us. And as we rely upon his grace, and as we 
abide in him, he will bear fruit through us. Amen? Let's be committed. And there will be challenges from within and there will be challenges from without. Lord, I pray that you help us to be fruitful. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be committed. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to to be devoted, to living in an atmosphere of Christ. In all that we do, Lord, that we would seek your will and that we would seek your purpose. In all that we do, Lord, that we would seek to have your life flow through us and not merely resort to our own instincts and desires because these are fleshly and unfruitful, unprofitable. But we thank you for your spirit. Amen. The greenhouse effect. Now, I don't know what that really means. I started looking at it. It's so complicated, I allowed it. And I just, <laughs> so whatever it means, don't worry about that. But just, 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 just think about my definition, yeah? The greenhouse effect. Um, creating a climate for healthy growth. Pastor E talked about the atmosphere. You know what I'm saying? Being conducive for, oh, look at that. Thank you very much, sis. I might not even need it because I haven't got that much stuff to show. Um, oh, wow. Praise God. The greenhouse effect. Creating a climate for healthy growth. I say creating. That's maybe, maybe that's not fair because what we want to do is at least we would like to appreciate the fact that we've already got some sort of climate. What we want to do is we want to I don't know, um, enhance would it, the climate um, for, for healthy growth. And I'm going to look really briefly at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 16. You can turn it if you like to, like Pastor P, you like to feel the lever in your hands and smell the paper or smell the lever and feel the paper. Yeah, that makes more sense. Now, as you're turning to Ephesians 4, as I said, I'm going to put it up on the screen in a minute. I want to make three real brief statements. First of all, as individual believers, we must understand our responsibility to love people well. As individual believers, we must understand our responsibility to love people well. Second statement, as leaders, <clears throat> which can be any one of us, as we learned last night, you know what I'm saying? If you're, if you're a father, you're a leader. If you're a husband, you're a leader. You know what I'm saying? If you're a wife, you're a leader if you've got children. You know what I'm saying? We lead in, in many different capacities. Fundamentally, guess, guess, guess who the most important person is that we lead? Ourselves. <laughs> if you ain't leading yourself, you're in trouble. Someone else is leading you. We're all leaders. And as leaders, this is a second statement, this also means equipping others to understand that Christ-like love is the root of all discipleship. As leaders, this also means equipping others to understand that Christ-like love is the root of all discipleship. And the third statement is, the way we love people the way we love people is a direct reflection of how we understand the love of God. Pastor E, John 15, he talked about fruit bearing. Fruit bearing. Like a, 
a healthy church, a greenhouse enhances growth, does it not? It enhances. These structures, that is greenhouses, they range from small sheds to industrial-sized buildings. And just like the, the greenhouse, the church sometimes comes in a, in a very small package. And then you've got, obviously, you've got some, some churches that are, have got 10,000 people in them. We know that the building isn't the church, it's the people. And Ephesians 4, I'd like to argue, talks about the greenhouse effect. That is the benefit of a particular type of environment. And I want to talk about two things really briefly. I don't think I'll be 15 minutes, he says. What's time? 10 past three. <laughs> Get myself in trouble now. Two things I want to talk about. I want to talk about leadership and I want to talk about discipleship. I've mentioned both of those in those three statements. People who lead people who lead people. And that must relate to all of us, right? Because guess what? We're all people. People who lead people. Who lead, people who help people who help people. And we all need to be into people. Because how many of you know God's into people? Now, here's a bit of a harsh one. Put your hand up if you're a Christian. Okay, amen. Loud and proud. Okay, put your hand up if you're a disciple, and that is a committed disciple. Oh, okay then. A few less hands. Well, I see pastor, he put up his hand like what? You're a Christian, what? You're a disciple, what? No hesitation, but I noticed, and I suspect you also noticed, if not as you looked around, but maybe even you personally, you like, hmm, Christian. Yeah, I know I'm a Christian, but hmm, disciple. Committed, dis committed disciple. Ooh, I'm not so sure about that one. Now, that's troubling because we would argue that you can't really separate Christian from disciple. Really, the two ought to be synonymous. Do you know where the term Christian actually originated from? Like, where did that come from? Okay. Yeah, it's, it's not even rhetorical. It, I think initially it was rhetorical, but now to come to think of it, anybody know? It was a slur. It was a slur. Okay, interesting. That's one part of the argument. Acts chapter 11 gives us, I would argue, um, the answer. And I'll come back to what Ben said. Verse 25 of Acts 11 says, So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church. Remember the church in the building. The church is the people. And they taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. You see that? Now, we're not sure, coming back to Ben's point, we're not sure if that was the unbelievers that looked on and said, boy, these people, like, I don't know, who do they think they are? And in a negative sense, say, do you not think you're, 
you're Jesus. You know what I'm saying? And began to identify them Christ and call them Christians, little Jesuses. Now they could have meant that negatively. As I think about it, even if that was negative, how many of you know that's, that's actually quite positive? I heard someone say, if, if the police were to find, were, were to convict you, no, were to find you, no, if the police found you allegedly calling yourselves a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? So, who, so whether it was the onlookers like teasing them and it, like slurring them, or it was people looking and saying, you know what? You people remind us of that man who was walking the streets of Galilee. For three years, he did nothing but show love, grace, mercy, commitment, spoke truth, had up and offended those who are twisted and hypocrites. It's like, you, got, you remind me just of, you remind us of him. And they called who? They called those who were committed, those who were disciples, Christians. So if, you're, if, if you know that you, you've submitted your life to Christ, like Pastor E said, you know what I'm saying? And you've committed yourself to walk in holiness. You've committed yourself to reflect Christ to the best of your ability. And you've accepted him as your Lord, not just your savior. You've accepted him as your Lord and your savior. You are a disciple. And then hopefully we'll look at you and we're like, wow, you must be a Christian. Okay, you look like Christ. Did you know that Jesus never called any of his followers Christians? What did he call them? He called them disciples, didn't he? Calling them disciples at school, we're, we're having to do this paper, and the question, one of the questions is, if you want to choose this particular essay, is was Jesus a Christian? Everyone's like, oh. you can think about that one. I've got to think about that one because I haven't written it yet. But Jesus never called any of his followers Christians. He called them disciples. So we ought not to hesitate at the question: Are you a disciple? And if we do, maybe there's some questions we need to ask. Now we're talking about genuine followers of Christ. And in those verses, can you see two things? The two things that I said I was gonna talk about for 15 minutes, right? Oh my gosh. <laughs> what did I say we we're gonna talk about? Leadership and disciple. Can you, and leadership and discipleship. Can you see leadership and discipleship in those verses. Can you see that? Leaders and disciples. You've got Barnabas and you've got Saul, leaders. They're teaching the church. They're obviously leading, right? And then you've got the church, that is the people, and they're disciples. Can you see that? Now, I want to show you the same pattern, leaders and disciples, in Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, um, look at verse 11 and a part of verse 12. It says, and he gave, speaking of God, Apostles, prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Can you see leadership there? Right. Sometimes they call it the five-fold leadership. Kind of in more evangel conservative evangelical circles, they call it um, the four-fold 
ministry because past, pastor, teacher is one office. Hopefully, if you're a pastor, you should be able to teach because it's like a shepherd who can't feed, feed the flock. What, what kind of business is that? You know what I mean? He's supposed to be able to teach, right? So we see four, if not five different um, callings, giftings. And I say giftings, why? Because at the beginning of verse 11, it says that God gave God gave, and he gave gifts to the church in leaders, as we so wonderfully were able to appreciate this afternoon as you guys prayed for us and blessed us, you know what I'm saying? Because God has given us as a gift to you, and God gives people as gifts to people. Can you see that? And leadership obviously is, is a vital element. Now, what is the purpose? The beginning of verse 12 says, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. You know, we may not necessarily have done a perfect job, we know that, but as Neil prayed, you guys, you know our hearts, and um, we are in the process of development. I know Pastor Ear said this, Pastor P, you may have also heard it said, are you guys in this with us for the long haul? You know what I'm saying? Are, are, are you prepared, you know what I'm saying, for the process? Um, because that's what it is, like Pastor E said, it's a journey. And the process, how many of you know, is not necessarily easy. But a part of the process is, is us as leaders desiring to help you so that you and us, so that we can do the work of the ministry because that's what the beginning of verse 12 says. Leadership. <clears throat> now, who is it the leaders are given to and for what purpose? We would argue that leaders are given by God to equip the saints, to equip Christians, to equip disciples. Look at the rest of verse 12. Why? For the building up of the body of Christ, for the edification, for the healthy construction, for the building up of the church. Look further at what discipleship ought to look like. Now, I know Pastor P has already done this in terms of Ephesians, so I'm really not trying to exegete it. So don't have me up for not pointing out every single nuance. Verse 13 is what I'm arguing disciples ought to look like until we all, notice, not leaving anybody out, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. How many of you know God desires for us to grow in our understanding? It's love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Can't be a Christian and not develop in your understanding. See, that's maybe one of the reasons you hesitated to put your hand up. Because you ain't really trying to learn, you ain't really trying to study like reading is long, but as a disciple, that's a part of who you are. Something you need to become accustomed to so that we might grow in terms of knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, 
that's you as well, ladies, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Wow. Verse 14, so that we may no longer what? Be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine that is teaching by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped or supplied. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Can you see discipleship? Can you see growth? Now, can you see the synonyms for growth and development in our text? Let me help you. Discipleship calls for growth and development. And not just in you, in also us. We had Pastor Anthony come last night. I tell you, he's, he's like a pastor to us. Man's been in the ministry for 35 years. Come on now. Me and Pastor E was sitting in there. We're like, thank you, Jesus. Oh my gosh. What a blessing. We still need to keep growing. Look at the body and look at the, 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 the growth and development. Can you see leadership and disciple? Now, how do we see this happen in our church? How do we see this happen in our greenhouse? If we want to see, if we want to see the maximum yield of fruit in terms of, check it, quality and quantity. It's not unspiritual to want to see quantitative growth. Quality and quantity. How many, how many of us want to see growth in terms of the gifts of the Spirit and also the fruit of the, I should say the fruit of the Spirit and also the gifts of the Spirit? How many of us want to see fruit? We want to see much fruit and fruit that remains, Pastor E, John 15. And how many of us want to see season on season, year on year, bumper crop, bumper harvest? See, how do we we cultivate a conducive climate for this type of growth? Well, the answer is actually in our text. Look at verse 15. How do we do this? We do it by speaking the truth in love. Many of you know last week, boy, Pastor E spoke the truth, boy. Oh my gosh. Spoke the truth. People was trembling, not like raw. I ain't even trying to take communion today just in case, you know. (laughs) And didn't you, did you see the beautiful way that he waited it though? You know what I'm saying? Very, very harsh in, you know what I'm saying, the introduction to communion, but did you hear the message last week? Psalm 23. Oh, community group was sweet midweek. Speaking the truth, how? In love. And if we do that, we will see maturity, we'll see development, and we'll see growth. If we as leaders and disciples speak the truth in love. Truth and love. Now, what does this look like? Real quick. Truth. Jesus said it, John 17. What is truth? Thank you, Father. Your word 
is truth. And Jesus said in John 8, 32, he says, you will know the truth and the truth will do what? How many of you experience that freedom that comes by virtue of God's truth being imparted to your soul? Mm. Truth. And you know, God's word is truth. It affects, hopefully, first of all, us as the individual. Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. And as it impacts me and it releases and it sets me free, then I take that same truth and I communicate it to someone else. And to some degree, I become a leader and I begin to disciple as I begin to share God's truth. Did you know that's how, I mean, that's one of, that's one of the ways I became a pastor. You know what I'm saying? That's the way Pastor Ian, Pastor Pete, that's how we became pastors. You know why? Because we'd be in the congregation and we'd be like, wow, Lord, my gosh. And as soon as we get to church, as soon as we're in an environment where there's other believers, as soon as we're in Bible study, we're like, Brrr. people are like, raw, man. Like, whoa, man, where did you learn that? Fam, I was reading my Bible. What do you mean? And two twos, before you knew it, as we encouraged others, people were like, wow, man. They identified something in us. It's not that somebody called us and said, all right, Ben, you're going Cornhill, innit? Come, be a pastor. <laughs> I don't know anything about you, but no, no, no. You don't, you don't ordain the called, right? You call those who God has ordained and you identify that gift in them. As you begin to do that, you're actually discipling someone. And hopefully that, that, that word that's in me, that's in you, it's leaders to disciples, but then also disciples can confront leaders with that same truth. And then hopefully disciples to disciples sharing that truth, as I just described, and then hopefully disciples to other potential disciples, those who don't know Christ, who have not yet submitted their lives to him, have not had their lives changed, have not been saved or regenerated. That's evangelism. Truth. Speaking the truth in love. I quoted it already. Mark chapter 12 says, and one of the scribes came to him, that's to the Lord Jesus, and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he answered them well, that's Jesus. And he asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is hero Israel, the Lord our God, Shema, the Lord is one and oneness. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. You want to be a disciple? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And there is no other commandment greater than these. Now, how many of you know the first part ought not to be hard because God is perfect. We heard that last night. It ought not to be hard to love God. He's perfect. But we struggle, don't we? And then, if, imagine, if we're struggling with the first part, oh my gosh, when it comes to the next part, it's some next thing. Because you're supposed to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Now, we don't, the first part ain't hard, Carl. We all love ourselves, innit? But it says not. Love another person, love people in the same way that you love yourself. We're always quick to judge others, ain't we? But we're not so quick to judge. There's reasons why I behaved in that manner. 
there's reasons why I said what I said. It was that person. If they never said that, then boy, I wouldn't have. What would it look like if we began to treat others the way we treat us, the way we love ourselves, we was to love someone else like that? Love God and love, speak the truth in love. Now, how many of you know that this is hard work? Now, whether you want to amen me, what was it the other day? Amen, lights. Amen. It's hard work. Amen. Getting back to the greenhouse, how many of you know gardening is hard work? It's hard, it's dirty work. Digging. Weeding, watering, and all this stuff is time sensitive. You do all that hard work and you have to then wait. Transplanting, having a plant is growing, and you take it out of there, you put it in, a, in another place. Well, you know what? Yeah, you know, I know you've been here and you've been doing this, but how about rather than ushering, come and work in the children's ministry? Transplanting. That's a job in itself. Positively, how about uprooting? Pastor E said it, how about pruning? Pruning the plant till it bleeds, till, till the, the sap oozes out of the plant. Some of, some of you, some of us might be in that place. And how about the, the good stuff like harvesting? And being able to pluck the fruit from the trees because of all the hard work. To the point where you've got so much fruit, oh my gosh, and you've got so much growth, you need to create a new greenhouse. You may need to plant a new church, a new environment, a new healthy environment, conducive for growth. All this is challenging, it's, it's, it's difficult. And sometimes we can see the difficult and the challenging and we just, we're like, oh my gosh, I can't deal, this is too much. This is a madness. And if we're not careful, we'll look at it negatively. And sometimes it look, may look like chaos, but you know what? There's life there. It's like having a baby. Oh my gosh. Dirty nappies. No sleep. How many want that? No one wants it. But if you want a baby, it's like the water and the wet. You can't have the one without the other. And we never say, well, we ought not, we ought not to look at that negatively. See, we may have loads of issues around here. But our encouragement to you as a leadership is don't be discouraged. You know what I'm saying? It's not that we don't deal with these things. You know what I'm saying? We've got matters that we've got to deal with next week. It's like... But don't be discouraged. If you understand John 15, pruning. You understand that. It will set you in good stead for 2013. We look back at 2012 and you know what? Funerals. I mean, I think the past four or five years, man, we've had to bury people in our congregation. And otherwise, 
But how many of you know at the same time, we've had births. We've, we've had, 2012 was a time for really, really rough relationships. Relationship breakdowns. Marriage breakdowns. But at the same time, how many of you know, we had, we had marriages, we had new families created. Ecclesiastes, isn't it? There's a time for both of those things. It may look like chaos, but you know what? There's life, there's growth, there's ministry. And this all happens on different days at different times, whether it's Sundays as we gather here and youth ministry or children's ministry or adult ministry and community group midweek and women's meetings and men's meetings and we're praying and we're teaching and we're learning. And it's not just a few people doing this stuff now. Boy, thank the Lord, we're moving on. You know what I'm saying? It seems like, boy, we're looking over our shoulder at the days when, you know, boy, you come in every Sunday and you walk in you know what I mean? Like half an hour before service starts and there's Pastor P setting up the chairs. Remember them days? <laughs> They're not too long ago. We're moving forward to the point where, I mean, you know, wow. I thank God because these brothers are also my pastors. They're your pastors and my pastors too. You know what I'm saying? Pastor E takes responsibility for the praise team. No one to lead the praise. He didn't even hesitate. Me and him got together in the week because Pastor P was in New York me and Pastor, he was talking, and he'd sent me a text or something about, boy, Rob, you know what I mean? Boy, it looks like I'm leading praise on Sunday. And I was like, rah, it's peak. And he was like, you know what? It's an opportunity for us just to, to you know what I'm saying, to roll with it, to, look, to grow in a difficult circumstance. You can look at it negatively, you can look at it positively. You ever seen this brother with a frown on his face? <laughs> no, I said last week. <laughs> See, if it was me, I'd say five minutes ago. At least yours was last week. You know what I mean? It's like, it's not just us doing this. Thank the Lord, but there's going to be a time when Pastor E won't have to lead, lead praise unless he wants to. And maybe something's looking at today, maybe he ought to. No, no, no. It's, you know what I mean? But for we're growing, we're moving. You know what I'm saying? The three of us, we got three banging assistant, you know what I'm saying, elders in, in Mark, in, in Neil, and in Bertram. Brothers are stepping up on some next level. And it's such a blessing. And now, I mean, at my last count, it's probably more, we've got 17 teams in the church. You know what I'm saying? Being overseen by the operations team. Hey. Wow. We're growing. You know what I'm saying? Don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. We tend to always focus on the negative. Maybe chaos, but there's life and there's growth. How many of you know that compost stinks? How many of you know that compost is a blessing though? See, it's the stuff that makes things grow, man. If we wanna grow, oh my gosh, we ain't got time. See, plants that are dying need to be uprooted and thrown away. In contrast, <clears throat> you have saplings, baby plants, that have just been planted. You've got seeds in the bag that are yet to be planted. You may look at a field 
on a horizontal, natural, human level, and you think, oh, what a mess. You ever been up in a plane, like when you're flying from Gatwick or Heathrow, and you're up in a plane and it's taken off, and you look down at the ground, and you see these perfectly sectioned areas in terms of fields, and some of them are golden, some of them are green, and some of them are yellow. You ever seen that when you go up on a plane? From our perspective, it looks like a mess, but when you get up in the air, and you have an aerial view, you look at it from possibly from God's perspective, it looks beautiful, like a tapestry, messed up on one side, absolutely beautiful on the other. It's gonna get busy around here. If you oh, more drama, yeah, more drama. It's gonna be more work, there's gonna be, hey, there's gonna be more friction, more people rubbing you and me up the wrong way. There's gonna be opportunity to be offended. I think I've got a lyric that says, you know, that iron sharpens iron. When iron sharpens iron, you know sparks are going to fly, but it's another opportunity to die. So let's do it daily. He saved me. Treat me like a lady. For his glory, he made me. Forget about who don't respect your ministry. It's about truly reflecting the Trinity from here to infinity. I love this vicinity. Represent the Godhead. Matchless divinity. Real relationship like getting in your face holding hands, eating food, saying grace. We're developing communal spiritual fitness, exercising forgiveness. You slip down the slope, lost hope and can't cope, but this free cord rope ain't easily broke. Right, let's just leave that for a minute. See, there's gonna be opportunities to be offended, but iron sharpens iron. It's a blessing. It's a blessing. See, and as we work together, we're going to get up close and personal. But it's not always negative. Don't focus on the negative. Relationships are going to be built and established on those difficult times. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 9 says, For we are all God's fellow workers. You are God's field. We are God's building. We are God's field, we're God's garden. Can I say that we're God's greenhouse? And the other thing about greenhouses is they say, <clears throat> do you know that, what is a greenhouse made of? They say, if you live in a glass house, don't throw stones. We're gonna need more leaders who understand that. And we're gonna need more disciples. So let's love God with everything that we have and let's love one another as we love ourselves, leadership and disciple, people who help people who go on to help people who go on to help people. Teaching and learning. We're being equipped hopefully to disciple in order that we might become a healthy church, a healthy greenhouse. May God help us to see this outwrecked in 2013, amen? Amen. Come Pastor E, where's Pastor P? Um, what's the time? I wonder if we can just take a couple of minutes to, you guys prayed for us. I wonder if we can take a couple of minutes to pray for you, to pray for you. Did you have a word there, Pastor E? You wanna share something? Parson. Mm. I see you grab the mic and come up with diligence.
sometimes you have to finish with style. Okay. All right then. Whatever that means. Yeah, let's do that. Can we stand? Lord, it is you that has made us, Lord, and we are the sheep of your pasture. We have not made ourselves, and truly you are our shepherd. And Lord, we know that to follow you is to walk in the way of life. We thank you, Lord, for redeeming us, for making us yours. We thank you, Lord, for investing in us the life of your Son, the power of your Holy Spirit. Mm. We thank you, Lord, that you are able and are doing over and abundantly more than we could even ask or think, according to your power that works in us, to the glory of Christ Jesus. And Lord, at this juncture, at this time. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be fruitful. Lord, we're leaders without the ability to lead ourselves. We know this, Lord. Some of us, Lord, we can't even get in on time. Some of us, Lord, are just completely disorganized and just don't have that gift of organization and Everything is moment by moment. Some of us, Lord, are regimented and disciplined to the point where, Lord, we are snared by our own laws. Hmm. Wow. And, Lord, constantly finding ourselves in a place of, of guilt. All of us, Lord, are in need of your grace. We thank you, Lord, that you've given freely through Jesus Christ Mm. and that you have called us as a people by your name. You've called us by your name. You've given us your name, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for what you have done in and through our lives, Lord. Thank you, Lord, Lord, for what you're doing. I thank you, Lord, for every single person, Lord, who has covenant in their heart, Lord, to to be in family relationship here as your people. And I pray that you would help us. Help us, Lord. To grow, Lord, outside. Lord, it has been your purpose from the beginning to have a people called by your name that would be in your presence continually. your way among us, Lord, we pray. <clears throat> you are Alpha and Omega. We worship you. and 
Now, brethren, we commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. Lord, may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace 2013 and beyond. Shall we say the grace together? May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest, remain, and abide with us now and forevermore. Amen. To find out more about us, visit our website at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org or find us on Facebook and Twitter at CC South London. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.